everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker and I am a Chicago musician and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Before I get started today and my thoughts get, get going, I wanted to wish a very happy Mother's Day to my mom, who I love very much and I miss very much. Um, and I hope that you're having a nice day and I'll, I'll be FaceTiming with you later, as you know. Um, so, okay, let me transition back into Mother's Day. Hey, Gabe. So today we have Gabe Leibowitz on. I'm really excited to talk to Gabe. Um, let me do a little quick introduction, and then we'll have Gabe come on, um, and we'll chat with him about how he's been doing. So, Music Therapy, briefly, is a show about mental health with a special focus on musicians, artists, um, and issues that, that face musicians and artists, but a lot of this is really applicable to anybody, so you don't have to be a musician to get something out of this. If you want to visit past episodes, which include interviews and topics like anxiety, creating a routine, some guided meditations, and more, you can go on my YouTube. Um, there is a link in my bio to the playlist, and that's growing. Uh, that's growing every day. This is episode number 23 or 24. I can't remember. So there's a lot on there so far. Um, stick around after I'm done talking with Gabe. I'm going to play uh, one of my songs to close out the to close out the uh, the session today. And Gabe, why don't you go ahead and uh, request to join, and while you're doing that, I'll talk about upcoming guests. Tomorrow I have Rob Severe, who is uh, one of the co-founders of Numero Group, um, the Chicago-based label. And I'm really excited to talk to him and to hear how he's doing and how he's been impacted and the label's been impacted by all this going on. And next weekend, so far, I've got William Pierre Ramsey, who's an old friend of mine, as well as Shelby Turner, another old friend of mine, are going to be coming on and, and talking about their experiences. Uh, here's Gabe. Let's connect with him. Hey. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. This is my first time ever doing a live stream. Oh, yeah? How do you feel? Um, so far, I feel pretty good about it. Good, there's, no, good. there's no teens um, yelling at me or making fun of me, which is what I thought live streaming would be like. So, <laughs> good start. We'll see. It looks like David, he may throw some... Oh, my man. Heckles my at man. you. That's uh, why I'm ready. <laughs> Nothing worse um, than what's inside. Hold on, I'm going to turn my volume up. Okay, so my first question for you is, uh, where are you? You used to be in Chicago, and now even though with some mild... Instagram stalking, I've not been able to ascertain <laughs> where you are exactly. Um, so I can tell you um, a, a, the very brief recap of my life of the past few years. Um, so I'm in Rhode Island. Does any, so Rhode Island is a state, for those of you that don't know. Um, You're originally a, there, right? Yes. So I'm staying with my folks. I, was, uh, I lived in Chicago for about a decade. And um, towards the end of 2016, I was having some really serious health issues. And I was also having some really bad mental health issues that I was not, um, I was not taking care of. And it got to a point where I just realized that I was not able to take care of myself anymore. And I had to leave. So I've been here in Rhode Island kind of getting better and... Um, taking it day to day, and then having a mild Instagram presence for you to be able to stalk mildly. <laughs> that and Twitter. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and a shout out to uh, 
this is where I really, really get stocky, is the little boys room, which is oh. my favorite comics, but there's a good group of, uh, I'm a fan, fangirl. Shout out little boys room. I'm a fan too. Yeah. Um, check it out on Facebook and Twitter. It's a, it's a comic, an artist in Chicago makes it and it's, it's really good. Um, so you said that that was 2016 that you left Chicago. Did I hear that right? Yeah, towards the end of 2016. Okay. So I came here in October, October of 2016. Okay. Well, I, you know, I mean, some of that will be up to you to how much you're comfortable sharing. But, um, you know, some of the things you're talking about. But I'll, I'll start out with the same way that I've started out with everybody, which is, you know, before all this happened the lockdown Rhode Island when did they lock down um I don't know when it I I locked down like look I I've got I've got asthma so I'm like freaked out about coronavirus so I I locked down like right away but um but I don't know when when the state officially did I think it must have been around I'm thinking like um probably like that weekend of March that week of like March 10th or something I think it was around then Okay, yeah. so what, what, what was your life looking like before the lockdown? So it makes me think of um, Fiona Apple said in an interview um, that, that her life hasn't changed at all mm -hmm. um, since, uh, since the lockdown and the quarantines happened, but she was thinking about maybe starting to leave the house and then this happened. So, okay. So yeah, it, it's kind of a similar thing. Did you, I'm sorry, did you ask how things have changed for me since then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I was isolating a lot uh, when I was in Chicago. And then when I was in Rhode Island, it took me two years to, um, to start going to therapy and to start um, dealing with some of the issues that kind of um, made life very difficult for me. And um, I think as I was isolating a lot when I first moved here, because I was really ashamed and I felt like a failure. And I, I didn't even tell anybody that I left um, Chicago. It took people maybe like a year. And I guess maybe most people don't even know that I left. Um, but it took me a long time to like be able to reach out to people and to like have social interactions and not be ashamed about um, where I was at in life and what I was going through. Um, and so once I started going to therapy, I started therapy in October of 2018. Um, the first year was really just about, um, and to be more specific, I, I go to therapy specifically for um, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, which, which feels a lot of my anxiety and my depression. And um, so the first year um, was really just every week, just understanding it and breaking it down and, and kind of learning how the disease functions for me and how I've internalized so much. And, and I think um, the, past, the past year moving forward or the past six months has been to try to like get out into the world more and try to be around people and um, this past fall, I did some trips. I did the first Calvero live show. So I was mm -hmm. out in Chicago and LA and New York. And I was thinking that my life was going to be a bit more of that. I was trying to make more effort to be out into the world. Um, yeah. I'd even planned, I, I'm suppo I would have been in LA right now, um, if not for right. the 
So yeah, I think I think it was more that um, my life feels the same. I just feel bad that most people's life is now what my life has been like, um, as far as just like very limited social interactions, um, maybe not knowing what's happening next for them or what's going on. But um, but yeah, I think I think even at my most isolated, I would still make a point to like try to go to a movie or just like even get a haircut or something. And then even that just kind of being around people and, and getting a haircut and, and talking that it kind of like, it gets you out of your own head. And mm -hmm. so even, even that, um, even that small amount of disruption, um, I kind of miss that. Yeah, for sure. I have, okay, well I have, there's a lot of things I'm curious about here, but I also just let me know if you're like, I oh, let's, you know, you don't want to go into it. Um, let's let's go. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, I guess one question I have is, you said you felt you felt ashamed. What were you ashamed of exactly? Um, I think that I was ashamed that I couldn't just tough it out. And I, I would have. I'm just looking back at this in retrospect after going to therapy for a while and, and understanding this. And I, mm -hmm. I, I think that a lot of it was um, shame of feeling like I was a failure, um, feeling like I, I had put so much weight and so much importance in like the idea of moving forward with my career um, in music. And I had had some, I had had some kind of like close calls, like there was a, there was a pretty popular artist that had recorded a couple songs that I had co-written and I, I kind of thought that those were going to be released and I, I just have, was so fucked up as, as far as how I found my own worth that I kind of thought like, maybe I'll just disappear and when these songs come out and I'm more successful, then I'll come back out and I'll, I'll feel better about being out into the world, which, which is, is so sad for me to reflect and look back at that. but. I basically just saw myself, so when I left Chicago, I was, I think, 27 or 28, and I just saw myself as a failure, as somebody who was just like, had tried to give it a go and, and failed and couldn't keep it together, and um, just had to live with his parents because he couldn't, he couldn't make it work, and that's how I saw it. it. It makes me sad to think about. How do you understand it now? Um... I, well, it's a day to day um, because I still have the tendency to be very self-deprecating. But, mm -hmm. but what I had to do was um, a big thing is that, that I've been learning to, um, to, to try to understand the, the, the thoughts that come in when I'm at my most depressed mm -hmm. and, and try to imagine if that was somebody that was personified as a person and they were mm -hmm. saying it back to me. And I'd just be like, this is a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and also I think about like, if I had, if any of my close friends were really struggling and they just weren't able to go through their day-to-day -day life I would want them to do whatever they needed to do in order to be safe and in order to be healthy and in order to take care of themselves. And I wouldn't judge them for a second. And yet I wasn't able to give myself that same leniency. It's easier to do for other people than ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, on one hand, I, 
I don't want to like stir up things, but I'm curious to know, I mean, do you have a specific or did you have a specific idea of what musical success looked like for you? No, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I'm actually writing a little something about it. Um, I think that, um, I think what I've been learning is that nobody does because if all you care about are very shallow things like um like getting a write-up from a specific publication or being embraced by a certain institution or getting a certain number of streams you're always fucked because as soon as you get to a certain point once you get to the next point what you've accomplished feels like nothing because I, I mean, I've co-written some songs that have millions of streams on Spotify. Mm -hmm. I've been in some amazing writing sessions in LA. I've worked with um, this guy who, who um, I, I, I don't want to get in trouble naming names, but a guy who is a part of music that was so formative for me growing up. And it feels like fucking nothing. It feels like absolutely nothing. And so I, I think that what I'm learning is that success, it doesn't it doesn't matter i don't think there's a i don't think that there's a way that you can ever quantify that and i think that as i've been going to therapy and trying to just like be a happy person and just like go about my life and live it i think that it's more about finding a balance of um to to me i'm finding success more of just like growing something and not fucking beating myself up and and not um not always spiraling. Um, that's the way that I have to look at it. I don't, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that when we grow up and we're first learning about music, you see the movies like that thing you do or something where it's, uh -huh. there's always that moment where you get played on the radio or you get, you get a manager or something. And it's always based on, on um, getting approval by these certain institutions. But I think that I'm, I'm looking back on, so I'm 32, I've been doing, I moved out to Chicago in um, 2006. I played my first band in 2008 and I spent so long um, just being in bands and not knowing what success meant, but always feeling like I was doomed to fail and that always I was feeling looking- Always feeling that way? Yeah, always feeling that way. And I was always looking for some sort of outward affirmation to to like make me feel like I wasn't doomed to fail whether that was like maybe some record label signing me or some manager being like we're gonna take you to the next level mm -hmm. and when it just wouldn't happen and um when I would see it happen to other people I took all of that and internalized this as saying like I'm not worthwhile I'm just fucking fooling myself this is so sad that's how that's how I saw things through that depressive um, lens. Does that, I mean, that sounds like there's a, a root thought there that I'm doomed to fail. Does that apply to other things in your life or was that specific to music? Whoa, I haven't, um, I haven't thought of that, but uh, I think, I think it's been specifically music for me and specifically, um, specifically about like, trying to be uh, like a, a, a singer and a performer. And I, I think about when I, was, when I was 16, I went to my friend's house and her, her mom's girlfriend was a palm reader. And I remember asking him, 
if if I was going to make it in music. And he said that you were going to have to work your butt off, but eventually you would succeed, but it would be behind the scenes. And I felt like I was so upset by that, that I had that in the back of my head that like oh. every, every minor, like little, if things didn't go well right away, I would be like, oh, this, this asshole was right. Um, and, and I'll also It really say, stuck with you. It really did. And, and I'll also say like, so with speaking of Facebook and little boys room and all that stuff, yeah. like, so 2014, 2015, 2016, I was posting a lot on Facebook and I was, it was just shit posting. I was ranting and making jokes and posting about politics just on my personal page. And I, that stuff was getting some legs like that. I would get a lot of likes. People would share that stuff all the time. People would go up to me and they would say like, Hey, I, um, I really love your Facebook posts. And it would always just like really bother me. And it got to the point where somebody asked if I was a comedian and didn't know that I did music. And I, it just like crushed me. And I was, but at the same time, I wasn't releasing music. I was, that this was just how I was expressing myself. Yeah. But I was so upset that, that um, it seemed like just being an asshole online essentially was what people were responding to that instead of leaning into that and exploring that, I deactivated my Facebook account. And, yeah. um, and that was around when that breakdown happened. So, so yeah, I think that, I think that for me, music specifically, but I'll be honest, like I've just, so, so I started releasing music again after mm -hmm. taking like a three or four year break yeah. and getting back into trying to figure out how to use social media. Um, cause I'm essentially starting from scratch and it has mm -hmm. been, it's been stressful for me. Um, to like try to figure out how to use Instagram and how to engage with people. Like there, there is, I guess like I try stuff out and that maybe there is um, this sense of like, why would anybody care what I'm saying or am I making a fool of myself? And, and I guess like, yeah, I guess I do have some sort of fatalism um, for that too. But I mean, I'm working through it. It's a day-to-day -day thing. That's a very vulnerable thing. I mean, any kind of performative, you know, pursuit yeah. you can't do without some sense of exposure um, right that's yeah i mean you kind of going back to you know this kind of bulk of questions i had from something you said towards the beginning of our conversation you you said that it took you a couple of years you know you had this breakdown you left chicago and it took you a couple of years to take the step to go to therapy yeah what was that process like? Why a couple of years? Mm -hmm. So, so um, when I was in, when I was younger, I was always in therapy and I was on antidepressants and I was in an inpatient program twice. Um, once when I was in middle school and once when I was in high school. Um, I went off antidepressants and I stopped going to therapy when I was in high school. I had I was on Paxil in high school and I remember having like a pretty bad time with that. Yeah. Um, feeling really detached, have, having a hard time being able to um, engage creatively. And um, I think the time in Chicago was, was like difficult. And at times I was drinking and I was being an asshole and I was being very angry. Um, and so I always, as I was, out in Chicago and living the artist's life and going on tour and everything, 
I started to internalize and feel that that going to therapy was like a bougie thing that like it was expensive and that it was something that I once I got it, it goes back to like thinking once I got if I can get successful, then I'll be able to earn the ability to be able to go to therapy. So there it was almost more of like and until I can get successful, whatever that means, that's when I'll truly be able to live this this life. So it everything was almost hinges like, around success. Right. And everything, everything was on hold until then. So when I ended up in, um, in Rhode Island for the first year or two, um, I, people were telling me you should consider going to therapy. Um, my, my mom like had a family friend who was a social worker and had left a number and I had it for like a year or two. Um, and meanwhile, I'm, once I'm recovering from my physical health issues, um, I am just really struggling. And maybe there's weeks or months that are good, but there's also a month or two where I'm just completely crippled by obsessive thoughts and I can't get out of bed and I can't get anything done and it's just mm -hmm. horrible. And I didn't feel like I had the energy to, um, to, um, to try to get this taken care of. And there was also some interest in some publishing companies. I thought that maybe it looked for, for a year or two that I was going to be moving to LA and that I was going to have this career as like a pop songwriter. And so I didn't want to, and maybe there was something about like, I didn't want to admit that I was going to be in Rhode Island for, for a period of time. And I didn't want anything that was going to tie me down. But eventually in 2018, I, I finally was at the point where it's just like, I know that this is going to be work, um, but I, I, I just felt ready, finally. Okay. I was, and so, yeah, that's when it began, um, October of 2018. You've described in your, in your posts and in your newsletter, you know, some depression and anxiety, and then today you said obsessive compulsive. Are you comfortable sharing the kind of obsessions that you have? Yes, I am. Um, I, it's been, so unfortunately I'm not like a cleanliness OC, OCD person. Um, my, oh, okay. I can, hear hey. you. I got a WhatsApp message. Maybe that oh missed, my God. must've been my sound. It's 5g. It's 5g. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, no. We both have the Rona. Okay. Yep, so, my man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't hear anything after I said, are you comfortable sharing your obsessions? I, I am comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that, um, it's, it's been, it's been getting better since I started going to therapy, but so I'll just give you like a, a quick story. Um, mm -hmm. so when I, uh, when I first moved here back to Rhode Island, I had, um, I had gotten my, I had gotten earwax removed from my ears and uh -huh. um, suddenly I could hear a lot more clearly and I was starting to hear these rumbling sounds. Um, and so I had always been anxious that I'd been listening to music too loud and that I was going to get hearing damage or tinnitus or something. Uh -huh. And I was convinced that, that I had gotten um, tinnitus and the rumbling sounds and so there was not a waking moment for months and months that I would not obsess, look for this rumbling sound and hear it and not be able to think about anything else. And so I went to a doctor, I got blood tests, I got a hearing test, my hearing was fine. And then this was all during the winter. Uh -huh. And then the spring came 
And um, suddenly I stopped hearing it. And I realized that what had happened was that um, I was, it was just the heating system in the house that most people wouldn't notice. But I became so focused and obsessed with it yeah. that I was hearing it all the time. And so that is kind of how my obsessive thoughts can manifest is that if it, it, it usually comes from fear, it comes from the idea that I did something wrong and now I'm going to have to live with the consequences forever. So it was that like, I didn't listen to music at a responsible volume. Now I'm hearing these rumbling sounds and it's just this like constant push and pull and this constant spiral. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that got me in some trouble because I went to all these fucking doctors and they're like, dude, you're fine. And so that's, I'm trying to think of any like, any other remarkable examples, but, um, but are, are your, you know, I find a lot of people who have, um, obsessive thinking like that tend to cluster around certain topics. So one would be like body based. So like -based. there's something wrong with my body physically. But the other theme I hear you saying is that I did, I made a bad choice and I, right. I messed something up. Yeah. Is that the cluster that you tend to have? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Very Jewish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what, you know, do you, are you still experiencing that? Um, yes, but I think that, um, a big part of, so, so a big thing that's been helping honestly is, um, <clears throat> I started meditating mm -hmm. around the same time that I started going to therapy. He, he suggested that, that I just do whatever works best for me. So the way that I meditate is that, I have like nature sounds like I've been rocking this like kookaburra. Is that how you pronounce it? Kookaburra? It's like a bird know. in a jungle. It slaps. It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and so I have a timer on for 20 minutes and I have some sort of affirmative mantra that is um, that's that's um, based on what I'm dealing with. So right now, the thing is that I, it's hard for me to rest and to relax and to not feel like I have to constantly be doing things. So my mantra is, it's okay to rest. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to let things go. And so I sit down at the beginning of the day and I repeat this mantra and I have these bird sounds going on. And I'm not expecting that I'm going to transcend time and space and a um, 20 minute timer is gonna go off and then I'll come back to reality. Kookaburra, right. Um, and so for me, that is the task of like, whenever lingering thoughts come in mm -hmm. that I have to be aware of them and to move away from them and to get center myself back in the mantra. Um, and so <clears throat> basically when I first started going to therapy, there would be some sort of theme of, um, something that I would obsess about and, um, and I guess what my therapist had pointed out was that um, a big thing that drives my obsessive thoughts as well is failure of like, like we talked about earlier, that I've somehow kind of conflated fear of failure for a fear of death, because sometimes when it's more medical related issues mm -hmm. that I'm obsessing about, what he'll say is that you're basically afraid that you're going to die. And if you stop thinking about it, then you're going to die. And so that's, that's what he thought fueled my obsessive mechanisms. And mm -hmm. it was similar to this idea of failure of like, 
if I'm not doing enough or I put this song out and it's not getting enough listens or I did this Instagram story and everybody stopped looking at it after like 15 seconds. I just keep obsessing about it and spiraling and just catastrophizing. And it's my way of like take, taking control, trying to take control of the situation instead of just being able to let things fucking go. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a very strong perfectionist in you. Yes, yes. That's something I'm thinking about and, and working on a lot. I, I mean, I, you know, I want to ask you more stuff, but I just want to pause and say I really appreciate you being, like, so open and candid. That's, I mean... Well, thank you for doing this show, and thanks for having me on. Um, I really, I really, really struggled and was in a lot of pain um, for a lot of years, and it, it's still a day-to-day for me. And if there's anything that me being open about this um, can help people, um, or maybe they, they can relate to it, or, or it can encourage them to take some extra steps, then I'm happy to fucking embarrass myself. That's fine. I don't think it's embarrassing at all. Um, I have a client that just reminds me, I have a client who struggles with anxiety, uh, severe anxiety. And at the beginning of all of this, you know, a lot of the first thing a therapist is going to advise you for an anxious moment is to do some deep breathing. Right. And for him, it was like, I don't think I'm getting a deep enough breath while I'm trying <laughs> to calm myself down. What if I have coronavirus? This is like, oh, yeah. Symptoms It's just like put him in a, a total spin. Right. You know, kind of uh, reminded me of you talking about something that's so close to you and that's so close and so important to you and not anxiety is just like a cruel, cruel beast. It just latches onto the things that are most important to you. Yep. Uh, just gnaws away at them. Um, and it takes a lot of, yeah, t- t- I mean, that's a big, because I, I talk a lot about uh, my creative process and creativity and how a lot of it just becomes miserable once I put so much weight onto things and I start catastrophizing and, and put like, my, my therapist observed that I would just put so much weight on one thing that it's like everything, everything rests on this one thing happening. And um, yeah, I mean, perfectionism was feeling obsession for sure. And I, and I can give this example that, um, so the first music video that I did as Calvero mm-hmm. is this song called Vanishing Streets. And mm-hmm. um, I would, when I had done music before and been in music videos, I held guitars or been like really unhinged, but I wanted to be more of like a, like a Freddie Mercury or a Bonnie Tyler, somebody that was a lot more comfortable physically. And I had, I had kind of beat myself up and thinking that I'm just like some awkward, stiff Jewish guy and that it's just like not who I am to be how I wanted to be physically. Um, and so I did this music video. I went to LA with my good friends, um, Logan Hall and, and Sarah Morgan um, who was in my previous band, Dastardly. And mm-hmm. um, I did the video and I was just so nervous and, and just like, I thought that I sucked. And then they sent me the edits um, when, it was, when it was finished. And I was looking at it. At first I was just like, oh, this is fine. And then I just kept watching it. And I was just like, oh my God, I fucking suck. And I'm making a fool of myself and everyone's gonna think that I suck. And I just kept watching it and packed layers and layers on top of it. 
and just fucking hated myself. And then I was telling my therapist about this and this was maybe a month or two into therapy. And I was just like, yeah, I think I, I spent three hours watching it over and over again. He was like, Jesus Christ, like that's, that's insane. Um, and so a big thing that I'm doing now with my process that's been getting a lot better is that I try to make something and then know that it's just a thing that I've made. And, um, and I'm going to get better with each thing that I do. And you get good at things by eating shit publicly in front of people. Yeah. Um, and you just have to be able to accept that and not dwell on the in-between. Um, there's, there's a podcast um, that I listen to called Heavyweight. I don't know if anyone's heard that, but um, there's, there's this episode that really gave me perspective on this and really helped me um, where he was talking about how this, this guy who's narrating the podcast, he, um, he was a film critic in the 90s and he saw this movie called Russian Ark. And the idea was that, hey, Ty, um, the idea was that um, it was all going to be filmed in one take. I guess it was the first movie to ever do that. And it was this masterpiece. But there was this one scene where there was this, um, I think it was a violinist, somebody that was in a band in a ballroom that looked straight into the camera. And um, this, this guy, the podcaster, was obsessed with this because he thought that it, it was a perfect movie that was ruined by this one idiot. And so he kept thinking about that. And so in the podcast, he tracks down the, um, he tracks down the, um, the director and he's just like, gosh, I mean, it, it, are you destroyed that your perfect piece of work was ruined by this idiot who just like looked straight into the camera? And the director just started laughing and he's just like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, whatever, man. He like, he didn't care. And then, yeah. and then but, but the podcaster kept pressing him. He's just like, well, if you could do it all over again, would you? And the director's just like, no, because that's what we made. That's what happened. Yeah. And but the podcaster just kept going. He he like tracked down the violinist that looked into the camera uh -huh. and pressed him on it. And and the guy didn't even remember that he did it. Um, so I think that when I listened to that podcast, I want I thought to myself, I don't want to be like this podcaster. And it was kind of like a self-deprecating um, episode, but, and it was about obsessive and, and obsessing about mm -hmm. things that could have made things perfect. Um, I want to be like these other two people that, that make things and, and sometimes things are messy. Um, and then you just move on from that. You don't live in the past and find things to obsess about that, that keep you from like the beauty and the human moments that create something like think about, this Fiona Apple album that was recorded in her house on GarageBand mostly, her dogs are barking mm -hmm. and she like fucks up lines and she keeps it in, but it's just like, it's like you're living inside her brain when you listen to that. It's just yeah. like such a human, flawed, messy, beautiful moment. And I don't think that you're able to have that come across if you're just like obsessed with every little detail just being perfect. Do you, are you connecting with this, this part of you that kind of struggles? Is, does this inspire how you're creating? Are you using this? Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, I, I think that um, I have been trying for my creative practice. Um, it's a lot of just, um, I have to set boundaries for myself because before I would have these really bad habits where I would finish something. And just like I explained with the, um, with the video, if like when I was watching the video, I'd watch it over and over again and yeah. just keep thinking, I'd do the same thing. If I finished a song, it was mixed and ready to go. Instead of just putting it out into the world, <clears throat> I would just listen to it over and over again and get sick of it and just like find all the flaws and just hate it and kind of like internalize how I thought everybody would be judging it. And it was, it just became a very toxic um, process. And now what I'm trying, I'm trying to not do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to um, set boundaries for myself. And so like, so like these are, there are creative times for me to sit down and to make something and write something. And then there's time to walk away and to let things go. Mm -hmm. And then there's a time to go back and listen back and to send out to feed for feedback and make some choices. Um, but before there was always this messy in between time where I write a song and then I'd constantly throughout the day be listening back to the voice mm -hmm. memo and being like, oh, actually this sucks, actually I suck. And so I'm finding that as I get more diligent about setting boundaries for myself and understanding how um, my unregulated OCD can be the engine um, for really spiraling out of control mm -hmm. and having not a good time um, creating things, then, um, yeah. How much work is that taking you internally? Is it, are you able to do this? Is, are you, do you really have to fight it? I'm actually, um, yeah, I'm, I'm at the point now where I can, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I do, I do an eight-hour, nine-hour day. And for the most part, it's, I'm able to be there and I'm able to be present, but it took a lot of fits and starts. It really started um, for me, I think maybe in 2012, I thought like, let's see, let's see if I can set a timer for two hours and if mm -hmm. I can be present and engaged and not spiral out of control. But yeah. um, I see it as a process. Sometimes it's really easy, um, mm -hmm. but it's something that I have to be constantly mindful of and I have to constantly um catch myself and i'm trying to um the most difficult parts are those in between times like the weekends or or time away and trying to be like i can just watch a movie um i can read a book i don't have to constantly be think because i've been thinking that that is what fuels the obsession is that like if i don't keep checking things and making sure that this is right then i'm going to fail um, or that I'm not doing enough and so that I have to fail. So I'm, I'm in the process of letting that go. Yeah, I mean, that puts a lot of... It's, <laughs> it's in a way, I don't mean this in an insulting way, it's in a way very egocentric. Lay it on me, yeah. I mean, it's very egocentric because it implies that you are in charge of everything and that there aren't outside forces that are also acting on who listens to something you sent to somebody or... All, right. these, all these random things, it's more of an exchange between you and the universe and not just, this is all on you. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was also difficult too, is that, I mean, for, for pop co-writing and everything, it's a lot of just sending it out, sending stuff out to people. And then that time, at first, that time waiting 
um, to get a response. I felt like I was so dependent on getting an, an affirmative response that in the process, I'd find myself listening over and over again and being like, oh, actually I suck and I embarrassed myself. This is the last thing I'll ever do. And it's really just like, this is all a process. You send shit out. Most people, I mean, that's when you talk about egocentric, it's also when you get to the point where you're considering people judging you or most people aren't thinking about you. <laughs> most people aren't thinking about you or are that, that considered, making that considered opinions. That's something I'm finding. Yeah. I mean, so to kind of pull back a little bit to, you know, the situation as it is in the world now, and you said that, you know, you have these really full days where you work on music. What, what has your life looked like the past couple months? Have you felt, how have you felt if you have impacted by what's going on? Is that changed your music at all? It's, it's, again, it's a day-to-day -day process. The first, that month in March when this shit was getting really bad, uh -huh. that was really difficult for me. Um, because like I said before, I have, I have asthma. And when it was unregulated, there were one or two times where I thought that I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. And so when I was hearing the stories about people with asthma getting coronavirus and, and, dying or being close to death it i was really really scared and it was got to the point where i was i was convinced that i was having asthma issues and i was taking my inhaler but i i soon learned that i was just obsessing about it um and so i think that first month everything was so chaotic um and so unknown that i was letting myself um, I was letting myself fall into bad habits that for the past year or two, I had pretty much under control. I was obsessed about minor health things and I wasn't able to walk away from that. And, um, and it was very difficult for me to focus on things or, or anything like that. And I guess my, my therapist had said that I'm sliding backwards, but that it's, it's because the context around us sure. has changed so drastically. And, um, and so the, the past week or two has been much better. And I've been trying to, to understand that I've been slipping and that I need to be better at setting boundaries for myself, that it's better for me maybe if I create a bit more structure in my day. So I set a, I set a timer now. I wake up at 6 a.m. I mm -hmm. make sure I'm up. I'm following certain routines. And that's been working for me. And also knowing when I need to walk away. Um, like on Wednesday, last when this past Wednesday, I had like a scare where it seemed like maybe my identity had been stolen. And that your identity a, what? That my identity was stolen. Um, oh. Yeah. The, the, and luckily, I was wrong. Um, but I was so anxious and it was such a chaotic day that I just said, you know what, we, we, we got to just pull back and slow down today. Um, and so, so I, so I'm starting to get better at knowing when it's okay to move forward and follow structure and get things done. And when it's okay to just slow down and to take the weight off. Um, because I think before when I would, I mean, I'm thinking like early twenties, I thought that in order to write a good song, I had to chug a Red Bull and listen to like Lil Wayne, <laughs> the Carter three. I thought that I had to just be like 
totally in it and totally just like or like jay-z eminem renegade like i had to listen to like the best hip-hop and everything and i had to just be like fired up and ready to go and what i'm finding now is that if i can maintain a sense of calm that does not have fear and clutter in there then the rest comes and it's a pro so i'm understanding that the process is to get that feeling of calmness first mm -hmm. that's more important than getting things done or making the best thing for for myself as an artist but also just to like be a person right i mean sometimes i think there's a urge to just get rid of stress it feels bad this shouldn't be happening or anxiety but sometimes it's a signal of stress and you should listen to it and you know if you're having a day where you think your identity is stolen and the world is falling apart right. and all that then right. maybe your anxiety is actually saying i'm actually kind of stressed right now and there's a reason yeah. for all of that um yeah and yeah and it is good to take a break at that time because there's just it's going to be overwhelming um this has been such a great conversation. Is there anything else that, I mean, I, we, you know, I feel like we could probably talk along. I could talk to you for a, a long time about all this stuff. Is there anything else that you, that's been part of your experience that you'd want to share? Hmm. Um, I think that, I think that, um, geez, it's just, I remember, how hopeful I was in, um, I don't know, Feb February maybe. I'm a Bernie bro. I thought Bernie was gonna be the nominee. I was very hopeful for the future. And then I just remember getting, having this horrible stomach bug that may have been Corona. And that was the Super Tuesday night that, that, um, that, that it looked like Joe Biden was gonna win. And from there thing, and then the coronavirus thing. And um, I, I don't know why I said that. I think that for a lot of people, there's just this drastic external change that was horrible, but maybe made a little sense to them, or maybe they had some, they had some reason for hope. And now that seems gone yeah. um, and it's okay. You know, like we're all, it's hard enough to, to, um, to just get through the day to day when things are relatively stable, um, as opposed to now. I think that for me personally, what my journey right now with my, with my mental health is to feel better about myself and who I am and finding value in what I do and not, not having to rely on, um, on external affirmations from other people or other institutions like we talked about at the beginning, whether it's like, if I wrote something and it, it didn't get that many Instagram likes, that doesn't mean I fucking suck. Or if, if it's just going to be a while for, I don't know, uh, to, to reach a larger audience with music or something, that doesn't mean that it's not worth making. Um, and so, like I said, the goal, if, if your uh, views of success are based on institutions or they're based on numbers, you're always going to be fucked. And so it's all about just figuring out how you can find value in what I, what you do without relying on that other stuff. So that's, that's where I'm at. That is where my day-to-day -day process is. And, um, 
Yeah. Okay. Do you? This is a this is a recommendation. Um, I'm not I'm not one for new agey stuff at all. Enya. Uh, what? I listened to I listened to Enya. Yeah, no malarkey. Dave's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, thinking about the the anxiety and then kind of what you were just saying. Um, have you ever Have you ever heard the power of now? No, what is that? I've uh, I've been listening to the Power of Love by Celine Dion lately. <laughs> uh, the power. Any relation? Okay. I don't think so. It's, the Power of book, Now. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's one of my favorite books. Again, it's going to sound really new agey. It may turn some people off, but I don't think it should. I think it's. Uh, I've been reading the Four Agreements, which I think is. Would you consider that new agey? Sort of. I, I don't like that one. It's in the same vein, I suppose. But there was okay. something about the Power of Now that really. Um, connected with me and my own anxiety and um yeah no, no i think you should check it out okay the power of now eckhart toll what what is that by eckhart toll okay t-o-l-l-e cool yeah check well it out. mother boxtrot thinks that it's good so now i gotta check it out yeah shout out mother boxtrot well what you know can people i know you've got some music online where can people uh find your music support <clears throat> Okay. What's going on? So go to Spotify Calvero. There's two Calveros. There's one Calvero with three monthly listeners and one Calvero with 48 monthly listeners. Not to brag, but I'm the 48 <laughs> monthly <laughs> listeners. So uh -huh. go check out that one. I'm on YouTube. I'm here on Instagram. Give me a follow. I try to post some stuff. I try to like, I talk about this sort of thing. I try to be open yeah. about it. Um, so yeah, I'm here. I, uh, YouTube, I have some videos, um, and in the in the chat room for Jessica Risker, um, music therapy, two thirty p.m. Central Time, I'll be there. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I love your music. I love the new Calvero stuff. It's so epic. It's so grand. It sounds uh, uh, sounds amazing. It really does. Thank you. There's more on the way. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gabe. Again, I mean, it was just like. It was so great to see you again and talk to you. And I don't know if you remember, but I think we met at a, was it Cafe Balu? Yeah, so back in the day. Ago, you asked me my favorite Ninja Turtle. Um, well, who was it? Which, of course, is, is Michelangelo. Who's yours? Of course. Um, the, the Leonardo. Okay, I think that checks out. I'm pretty sure that's what you said back then, too. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's really nice to see you again, and I, I hope there's a time soon where you can come back to Chicago and visit and, um, you know, stay in touch. And a lot of people, so keep it up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. All right. Love well. you, Kosla. <laughs> okay. Let's say, we're going to say goodbye to Gabe. Thank you so much. What do I hit the X, X you out? and then I'm gone? All right. Yeah. Okay. That was Gabe. That was an amazing conversation. If you missed it, um, please go back and watch it. He was just really, really open about um, things he's been through, not only during this pandemic, but uh, his mental health and music and how they've intertwined through the years. And um, I really appreciate him opening up to everybody. So, okay. Good. Yeah. Not new age or based in Buddhist practices. That's true. Um, don't let the Oprah recommendations scare you away. Phone battery runs out. And this is an old song. I just feel like playing it. Uh,
and it's called Sunshine Surprise. There is no time like another And second guessing is a comfort of mine But every day it's just a fight there's big important missions in my side. I don't know why I even bother. Some satisfaction to discover someday. These are the names that I know. Some dusty pages left you show. Think that I've been playing sunny days. I'm better off with taking to the highway. To the highway. I know someday that I'll regret it. I'll put it off until I'm coloring mine. I keep those thoughts to myself. I keep those thoughts to myself. I, I, I. sure if the sounds okay on this but hopefully it is thank you guys so much for tuning in um that was my song sunshine surprise today we had gabe leibowitz of calvero on tomorrow we're going to have rob severe of numero group on um we'll talk to him about how he's doing how numero group's been doing among um all this change and uh lockdown uh you can check out my music on spotify you can watch these uh old episodes and old interviews on youtube uh just Search for Jessica Risker or go for the link in my bio. And once again, happy Mother's Day uh, for all the mothers out there and all, for all of your mothers out there. And hope you guys have a good day and I'll see you tomorrow.